Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This episode of Screen Talk is brought to you by Vimeo. By now, I hope you know that Vimeo has a bunch of amazing indie films you can watch on demand. I've recommended my favorites you can check out at vimeo.com slash IndieWire. If you're a filmmaker and want to sell your movie or series on Vimeo On Demand, all you need is a pro account. You can set your own price, create promo codes, add bonus features, and there's that embeddable HD player with a purchase button, which means people can buy and watch your film anywhere on the web. Vimeo only takes 10%, which is the best in the business. Go to vimeo.com slash start selling and use the promo code ERIC20 for 20% off Vimeo Pro. This week, I'm recommending the Oscar-nominated short films. No, not the ones for this year's race, because we don't know what those are yet. These are the ones from last year, but guess what? They're really great. I especially like the animated shorts, but really last year's crop overall was great in the live action documentaries, so you should check out all that stuff. Use the Eric20 promo code. You'll get a 20% discount, and you can let me know what you think. But for now, on with the show. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor and chief film critic, joined by Ann Thompson from Thompson and Hollywood, who's uh, still on the West Coast, but a little further north than usual. Isn't that right? Yes, I'm in Bend, Oregon, uh, at a regional film festival uh, that's been around for a few years, and they've been trying to get me to come up here for a while, and I just thought, okay, I can go up for the weekend. You know, look at some documentaries. I'm on the jury with Paula Bernstein, which is nice because she lives in Oregon now and I get to hang out with her. Well, it's certainly a change of scenery from the last time we spoke uh, when you were in town for the New York Film Festival, but I'm still here and the festival is still going. It seems like the longest festival in the history of the universe, I have to say. (laughs) It's funny because... It seems like a long time since I was there. (laughs) The Seattle Film Festival, where we came up with the idea for our podcast, is about the same amount of time. That's true. New York Film Festival is a really particular beast in the sense that every weekend brings a new load of stuff. I mean, there are th- a lot of stuff that's played elsewhere, but a lot of sort of tidbits that are filling in gaps and so forth. And the last time we spoke, we hadn't seen one of the major fall movies that's in New York Film Festival this year, Steven Spielberg's Bridge of Spies. So now Which we I got to see that. in Los Angeles. That's right. You saw it at the head of screening at the exact same time. But uh, yeah, we've been anticipating that one for a while, trying to see if it was going to shake up the Oscar race. And I guess the the way that I would summarize it, and you can tell me if I'm if I'm on the right track here, is yeah, it's pretty good. It's kind of a contender, but it didn't completely change the game in any particular way. I have to say, I went through. I liked the movie very much, and it's it's exactly what you expect it to be. It's yep. incredibly well mounted. There's some amazing sequences. I think specifically of one where. A young man is riding a bicycle alongside the the Berlin Wall that is being constructed at that moment, right. and so you know that's a that's a pretty 
beautiful uh, sequence. And there's another sequence where the, the elevated train grows goes across the top of of the of the of the wall after it's constructed, and the the guards are, are you know riddling people with bullets as they try to to cross. You know that kind of thing. So it, he knows how to ratchet up the stakes, and he he knows how to create this extraordinary everyman played by Tom Hanks. And there's so many things good about the movie at the same time that it's very stately and old-fashioned and 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 sort of uh uh nothing extraordinarily new and and there are many who will appreciate its virtues um and and i'm one of them i mean it's a movie that could have been made very similarly 50 years ago in fact it was a project that was in the works many decades ago with i think alec guinness supposed to play this this role of a a russian spy that, that has now gone to mark rylance well, there's something very Jean Le Carré about this. Um, sure. it, you know, it's not that far away from something like Tinker Tailor, um, and it's very much in the in the universe of the Cold War or a great, you know, Michael Caine, Harry Palmer movie like The Ipcress File or something. And and I love it, you know. But but I I'm, I, I as I went through my Oscar chart, you know, trying really, you know, objectively to to see where it it fits. You know, is it going to knock various people out of contention? You know, if we look at a, a list of best picture contenders and there's 10 of them, perhaps, we have no way of knowing how many there will be, it would certainly be a factor, I think, on a long list like that. But if you go into the director race or the actor race, um, I'm not so sure. Uh, as good as Tom Hanks is, I think there are other people who are probably ahead of him. Well, he's very and- Tom Hanksy. I mean, you can't wrestle free of some of the restrictions of that. The last time Spielberg had a great actor in, in the, the Oscar race was Daniel Day-Lewis with Lincoln, and it was a chameleon-esque performance. You know, he really became this guy. Tom Hanks is playing that kind of Tom Hanks character where, I mean, he's kind of flawless in a way. This good-natured good. lawyer, a very good person. But of course he is. He's Tom Hanks, and I, I, I think that he's perfectly cast. But and, Mark Rylance again. Rylance is, is he terrific. may get in. That's that's where I'm. I mean, I haven't. You know, the, the we've talked about how crowded the the supporting actor race is, but I, I could definitely see the Academy sort of saying, "Okay, we like Mark right. Rylance." I mean, he's not you know? an actor. He's done a bunch of movies. If you've seen Wolf Hall, you know his face, and he's, he's been. In and he was stage. overlooked by the Emmys, and I thought tragically because he's and he's an amazing theater actor. Anyone who's seen. Jerusalem, for example, or the all-woman Twelfth Night that he did, which was amazing. You know, he's an amazing actor, so people respect him. And I could, but I think production design, Adam Stockhausen, who won for um, uh, Grand Budapest last year, he could definitely get in. It's it's stunning work in terms of the period, and And that's the beautiful thing about it. Spielberg's really conjuring up this period that he grew up in and remembers, you know, that time of being terrified by duck and cover, uh, you know. The nuclear paranoia comes through pretty well. There are a lot of individual scenes that I think are are some of the sharpest Spielberg's done in a while, including the first 10 minutes of the movie, which are nearly wordless, and I thought some of the best directed scenes of any movie this year. The rest of the movie is much more traditional by comparison, but there's some great stuff there. Spielberg is still delivering terrific cinema in a lot of, you know, kind of small doses. But it's a, it's a movie worth talking about. Uh, but to go back to I'm Mark- curious to see how long, how well it does at the box office and how long it sustains. It's not an easy no. sell. I mean, if you look at the trailer, I just don't know. I mean, one of the things they're missing 
when they're in marketing this movie is that it's actually pretty funny. I mean, the Coen brothers wrote the screenplay, and there are some really witty moments involving the kind of weirdly Kafkaesque journey that Tom Hanks' character makes to Berlin, where he's kind of working for the government, but it's officially not working for the government, and everybody's trying to kind of mess with his head a little bit. I mean, it's it's surprisingly funny, wouldn't you say? Definitely, and 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 there's this sort of routine thing where where Tom Hanks keeps saying to to Rylance, you know, aren't you nervous? Aren't you worried about this? And the guy says, would it do any good? You know, would it help? Yeah, <laughs> would it help? So so I I actually think um, though that there's an interesting disconnect there between the script and the world that Spielberg creates. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the Coens didn't write this with a different tone. A consistent tone that I could imagine the Cohen universe that that script belongs in. If right. you see what I mean, it would be a much more of a screwball take. It would be lighter. Screen. Yeah. 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 Well, and it would have that sort of, it would have that skew. It would have that funny skew that they sometimes have. Yeah, I think Spielberg Whereas is almost, Spielberg's more straight on. Oh, yeah, you know? and sincere. And, and on some level, it's, he's trying to make his Argo in, in a way. I mean, the final beats of the movie are actually very similar to Argo. It's a celebration of this all-American man and what he stands for. And it's a true story, and and, true and it story. really happened. You know, there's some nice little touches like like the uh, the theater marquee in German. You know, um, Ein zwei drei, which which refers to to the Billy Wilder movie one two three. You know, which well, was set in Berlin. I was talking to Dana Harris, our editor in chief, about this because we saw the movie together, and it would the Billy Wilder would have done a great version of this story. Incredible, so. incredible! It made me want to go back and see that movie. It's actually kind of nice to see Spielberg, outside of all the awards conversations, is really one of the only filmmakers who seems to work in that register as as almost a classical Hollywood filmmaker, but not in an antiquated way. I mean, it's a it's a very involving movie. It, it doesn't it doesn't look like it's out of touch just because it's you know dated in terms of the kind of story that it's telling i mean no no not at all not at all it's beautiful it's it's a beautiful a beautiful movie um so you were around uh also to see how steve jobs played at the new york film festival and it it, they've been doing a bit of a, a a swing through los angeles as well they had a big screening an academy screening last night with Boyle and yeah. Sorkin on hand. I'm just curious what your sense was, if, if you could read. I mean, we know it played well at Telluride, but that's one group. Right. It's actually very interesting to compare the Telluride slash Next Festival reaction that happened to Spotlight with the one for Steve Jobs, because Spotlight played at Telluride and then it went to Toronto. This one played at Telluride and then it was in New York Film Festival. So I, I kind of thought, well, Steve Jobs hasn't played anywhere for a while. It's going to get a huge boost of attention from New York Film Festival, and I, I assumed it was going to play really, really well. It sounded like it was a little bit more divided. I mean, that's it, how it, was, it played in L.A. That's it, exactly what happened. It, it's not mainstream in the usual way that would. And let me put it another way: the Academy breaks down into many different groups, and the the mainstream critics would be. Equivalent to the to the to the smartest craftspeople and and the, the the filmmakers and the writers and and like that. So the mainstream of the academy, this is not necessarily for them. It's a little adventurous for them. But it's not just that. I mean, it's it's also a movie that just doesn't work for everybody in the same way. And there are a lot of people I think who took issue with the Sorkin script. Other folks who found issues with either the ending or just the general structure of the movie seeming too theatrical, which, I mean, it would be a great stage play. 
there's a lot going on there to they they have said the right the 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 actors have said how much fun it would be since they had to memorize all that dialogue and i would i would love to see that i think it's probably a logistical problem i would love to see them get everybody together for a reading that would be awesome oh yeah absolutely i mean it makes you wonder all these different variables that could have gone wrong i mean not to say that it is a perfect movie because it's actually it's fascinating in in its flaws just like jobs was but there, there are certain ingredients that could have thrown it off even more so. Like, Christian Bale was going to play this role. Who knows what Christian Bale's Steve Jobs was like. Supposedly he couldn't find the character, right? But Fassbender is... He, it's just not distracting. I don't think he's showboating. Even though it's a big performance, he's buried in this guy. It's really, really convincing in a way that you usually don't see on a movie on, on this scale because there is something about kind of putting a movie star in a movie so that they can be that movie star... He's not. That's I mean, not Fassbender. That's not the kind of actor that he is. Yeah. And and I think that Winslet, I think the two of them are actually the front runners in their category. Whatever happens to Steve, I mean, I'm p- pretty confident that Steve Jobs is going to be an Oscar contender in many, many categories at the end of the day. But um, I'm totally confident that that those two actors are at the front of their respective uh, categories right now. But people also like Danny Boyle. I mean, I moderated a thing with him on Monday night at the at Lincoln Center and just seeing the kind of mania surrounding him and, and he's so charming. I mean, people love him. He, they adore him and I think he did a great a great job. I was reading there's a story in the uh, Hollywood Reporter which goes into uh, detail it sort of calls all the emails and all the stuff that was revealed about the, the sort in um, history. Yes, exactly. Uh, the, the the we we have more information about how this movie got made than any other movie in the history of the universe because of the Sony hack, you know. So it's much more fun and dramatic and but you know if you go through the 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 winding trail it, it it's um it i think that it came out very well i think that that finally uh, right. and by the way i just want to celebrate donna langley yet again she's the one who pulled the trigger on this now granted she had a, a wind at her sails you know right. you, you you want a film you want a studio chief taking chances when you have jurassic world right. and you have all that stuff behind you it was almost a one for them it. one for me sort of situation yeah right? so but she also she also backed you know i interviewed guillermo del toro the other day she also backed crimson peak which was a totally you know that's a movie that breaks every rule of of what's considered hollywood commercial movie making and i think it may prove to uh, support all those rules when it doesn't do any business, but I grant her that she actually did that too. Just keep breaking that embargo in Crimson Peak. <laughs> I I I don't. When does that embargo? People people want to know what the rules of embargo. It's weird. Are. It's weird that I mean, if it, I know other people who saw it and liked it too. It's strange that word isn't out sooner. There was a sneak peek at Fantastic Fest last weekend, and yet everyone was sworn to silence. So it's still kind of waiting for the word to get out there on that one but we'll they see. must be afraid that there's negative word because otherwise there's no reason for this kind of behavior well in any case steve jobs is an interesting gamble but it seems like opening this weekend it's probably going to do pretty damn well i mean the well, interest is high right people want to watch a movie about steve jobs even if he has a complex reputation we still treasure our iphones they're everywhere 
And no, people are fascinated by him. I'm sure it will. I'm sure we'll, we'll see. We will see. It is an unconventional movie. It is a movie that pushes the boundaries of, of, of what we can see. People have internalized, everyone has internalized certain rules of how movies are supposed to look and behave. And this one breaks them in a big way. Well, I'll tell you another movie that's potentially a part of the best picture race because it's been thrown around in that capacity that also played at New York Film Festival and, and I think played even better was Son of Saul. Okay, this this is a movie about... A Which isn't in the, the proper New York Film Festival, I might it's add. It's a film comment slot, right? So the selection committee as a whole did not choose it, but everybody I've spoken to who saw it in the context of New York Film Festival is, is doing somersaults over this thing. It's It's a... Tremendous. Well, experience. we've been saying this for a long time. Yeah. This is one of the best movies we've seen in years, not just this year. I mean, it's so far away and above everything else. It's, it's, a, it's, ground, it's groundbreaking in terms of how it tackles its subject matter, and it's also incredibly involving just as a piece of filmmaking. It's just really suspenseful, and it's a great debut feature. But it's amazing to hear people talk about it as enthusiastically as they are now because it does make you wonder maybe this really is a serious best picture contender even though it's also in the foreign language race where it should be a slam dunk. I agree with you. The Sony Pictures Classics has every intention. They're opening it in, the, in, in 2015 instead of waiting until later. And, and they're going for it. They're going to go for the actor. They're going to go for the director. You, you know what? It, the best chance it might have is, is in the director branch because that group is very foreign very very international and and very high-minded and they they often will vote for a foreign filmmaker and Lazo names has been making the rounds he just was in new york and and said he was going off to la next just signed with uta wants to make an american movie so he's got a lot of reasons to be shaking hands and taking meetings anyway so the the pieces are aligned pretty strongly in favor of this possibility. And it's I a question of getting that. people to watch the movie, even though Holocaust movies are supposedly you know easy marks for the for the Academy. I I think it's still uh, it's it's going to be tough to get people to watch it. Well, That's there's all. there's the Son of Saul challenge, and then there's the Beast of No Nation challenge, right? Same thing, exactly the same. But Son of Saul, I think in some ways has it better, not just because the Holocaust is an easier access point and there are some questionable racial issues involved there, but I think with, with Beast of No Nation, it's, it's a, first of all, it's a much longer movie, but also it's just more grisly. The, the violence is more graphic. Some of all, it's more, it's more just sort of unsettling because you're in a concentration camp the whole time and there's awful stuff happening, but it's not that graphically the violence is as intense as it is just sort of, it's haunting and ghostly in a way. And that's something that is, is a challenge. But uh, it seems like dark movies tend to do well in Oscar season, right? I mean, Black Swan or, or Birdman. Or the, I mean, these are not, you know. Well, Birdman was, and Black Swan, I would argue, were hugely entertaining. And even, uh, and 12 Years a Slave, as difficult slave. as it was, um, that's a better point of comparison. Though. Yeah, I think so, because that was one that, that people resisted seeing also, but they had to in the end. It was a must-see, and that be, it became a must-see, so they had to go. Well, we'll see how it plays as, as it keeps moving around. In the meantime, it's not the only film in the foreign language race, and, and just this week we got the, the full list 
of the 81 movie. movies, which is actually two less than last year, which was the record of 83 movies. We'll see if uh, if Ukraine, which missed its deadline or something, gets their their movie okay. extension. <laughs> they got a lot of stuff to deal with over in Ukraine right now, so they deserve it. <laughs> They're <extension>. distracted. <laughs> but that's but a China. China, that was interesting. They submitted Wolf Totem, um, as they said they would, and then the Academy rejected it because it didn't have enough elements from its host country. It's directed by Jean-Jacques Hannault, and a lot of his uh, team uh, came over to make the movie. So even though it was funded by the Chinese and it was in China, um, you know, a, a, a uh, Mongolian dialect, it wasn't uh, considered Chinese enough, so they had to submit something else. Gosh, that's just such a bizarre, blurry distinction. But uh... Well, people are really freaked out, I noticed, by the idea that Mustang would be submitted by France, even though it's a Turkish language film. The rules of, of, of the uh, game have to do with how many of the players making the movie come from the country. All it has to be is a foreign language. So an Irish film submitted by Ireland is in Spanish being ha viva having been shot in cuba right and it's it, there are some downsides to that i mean i remember a few years ago when the band's visit was didn't qualify because there was too much english even though it was a movie about israelis and palestinians trying to communicate and they have to speak in english to communicate so it was a very much you know international kind of problem but uh, so they're very literal about films being and you know there has to be a certain percentage that is not in english you know so that's I, I'm curious to see how many of these movies Academy voters actually check out because there's some edgy stuff in there. Good Night Mommy from Austria. The, the Very Harvey. strange uh, submission, I have to say. <laughs> they hey, can kiss that one goodbye. <laughs> maybe maybe James Franco's piece for us gave it an extra boost or something. Anything's possible. I'm sure that movie is worth seeing, and especially for horror film buffs. Yeah, it's it's very disturbing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it's not an easy sell in any respect. The Clan, which I just saw in uh, Toronto from Pablo Trapero, now that's a, that's a pretty impressive movie, and, and he's a, he's a pretty well liked f figure in the Latin American cinema world. And so that uh, was an even bigger hit than Wild Tales, which was a huge hit. Right, so it had a studio releasing it overseas. That that would be a strong contender, I would suggest. I would and it's got, I guess, think it's got um, Deseo, El Deseo, the the uh, Almodovar people behind it as well. Yeah, so uh, so I mean. I hope people get a chance to see it before year's end in a bigger sense because it really, I mean, he's a ter terrific filmmaker and this is a nice kind of evolution of his style. So it was exciting to see that one in there. The Second Mother is still in there. You've been a fan of that one for a while. So maybe that, that'll get a little bit more traction. In the I think that's weeks. accessible as, as Mustang is. I, I, in the end, I think France made the right choice. They picked the movie that, that will play the best, I think, of that group that they were considering. But there's just so many things here as you go through the list that are just sort of like... That's oh. normal. It's it's normal, but it's just, it's so bizarre. You know, you spend a year looking at international cinema and a lot of this stuff doesn't reflect the kind of experiences that a film festival traveler has. I mean, Arabian Nights, great, but Volume 2, I mean, it's just... I just it, a lot of it just seems like there's some kind of disconnect between the good movies of the year around the world and how these countries tend to prioritize what they're putting out there. 
They always make very strange uh, decisions. It's really too bad that Phoenix isn't um, uh, eligible this year. They put it up last year and it wasn't submitted. And in it the did end. so well when it it's got such a huge release. hit that yeah. it would just be it would be a, a, a very popular uh, entry. It turns out, um, but. Uh, we'll we'll see. I, I actually think um, Embrace of the Serpent from Columbia, which is a festival hit, will do well. I mean, those are the films. I've often wondered if it wouldn't be better to 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 consider festival uh, success as as a, as a as a really important. Um, way of judging which films to submit because I think the if you look at the list the, the the ones that have been submitted that do have festival success behind them are the most likely ones to go right. through to the end well it's an interesting suggestion too because with short films you have film festivals that are Oscar qualifying in the sense that if a short film plays there it qualifies for the Oscar right so you think that there would be some way to build in a rule in film festivals that could help foreign language films stand out more or become a part of this race by virtue of something an, an audience prize maybe i don't know i mean it's an interesting yeah that's a good idea actually i think right. that that would be you know, you'd have to have won at least one audience prize <laughs> <laughs> our, uh, i hope the, the our no they're not going to do anything the they're not going to change it <laughs> well the other race that's interesting to follow right now because there's just a lot of unknown variables it's a documentary one i mean the Alex Gibney documentary in Scientology is, is, came back into theaters a couple of weeks ago. That's still sort of around. There's the look of silence, but that didn't do that well when it came out over the summer. There's an Amy Berg movie, uh, Prophet's Prey. I mean, which did not get submitted um, uh, for doc. It didn't get accepted by Doc NYC. Doc NYC is an interesting. It's interesting to me that there's a a, a single man, a person named Tom Powers. <laughs> Who Who's is definitely going to listen to this <laughs> programmer for the Toronto Film Festival, and therefore, you know, has a, an impact on what gets uh, booked there. Sure. And for Doc NYC, which has a short list of fifteen docs that they've called for the whole year, and the overlap between that list and the list that ends up being the top fifteen for the Oscars, the short list for the Oscars, is often very close. You know, right. and the, they've picked the winner. Uh, for they've booked, in other words, in that list of 15, they have booked the Oscar winner for the last three years in a row. So the fact that Profits Prey, that, that doesn't mean statistically that something that isn't on their list can't get ahead. It can. And I was sort of surprised that they didn't include Listen to Me, Marlin or Profits Prey. But it's not, it's not a good sign. No, and it just doesn't seem like there's one movie that's standing out as a rock star, except for the movie about a rock star of sorts, a pop star, really, Amy, because it was a huge theatrical success, and because people like those kinds of movies, the showbiz movie, I mean, 20 Feet from Stardom, obviously, was the last example of that. But, there is a difference between, I mean, um, there is a difference between um, the process of, of the Academy doc branch picking the movies that are actually going to be on that, uh, that are going to be on that shortlist and, and the, and, and the final five, as opposed to the mainstream Academy, which votes for the winner. So you could think that, that, that the people that voted for 20 feet from stardom or, uh, searching for Sugarman, they're, they're the, the, it's not the same. So, so the the academy group is actually much more demanding and tough, um, and and they will they and I just wonder how many of those music docs are going to get in. They're they're, they're probably going to pick one, 
And would they pick would they pick uh, Amy or would they pick Kurt Cobain? You know, right. how, how do we know which one they're going to like the best? Well, it would be, I think it would be pretty dramatic if they went for the Kurt Cobain doc over Amy Winehouse, but it, it's, I mean, I like that movie too, and they're both, they're, they're both sort of reliant on archival footage or in a particular way, they're both dealing with people who died at the same age of, and sort of were overwhelmed by stardom and so forth, so it's a, a very specific kind of showdown that you're talking about. So I would think that the Alex Gibney doc, for example, about Scientology would sort of trump the Amy Berg doc um, ab ab about these Mormon crazies, which which is a very disturbing movie, yeah. but but somehow I think more people have responded to to the uh, to the Gibney doc. So what do we expect from Michael Moore? His movie got distribution from a new company. Yes, it's going to come out in time. I think it's going to be a success on on uh, at the box office. I think it's a populist movie, um, and I think he named me Malala, which opened very well, is a populist movie that isn't the same thing as gaining respect from your peers in the documentary branch. Yeah, so that I mean, will be the question. Name me Malala. Maybe it's a populist movie. I just didn't think it was particularly well made, and the Michael Moore movie is. I think much more polished in a sense. It was a Michael Moore movie. Where to Invade Next is Michael Moore running around doing his thing, but it's it's fun and it's it's done in a way that plays well to crowds. I think it did do well in New York. Film no argument there. I agree, and and I think I think it played well in New York, but I, and Toronto. But I think um, again, it, you know, w will his peers decide that this is a worthy of an, of an Oscar? That's that's the question. And will for, this for that. this anonymous new company that Tom Quinn and Jason Janago are starting with uh, Tim League be able to do the right stuff to get it out there. I'm sure. I'm sure they know what to do. Um, but um, uh, I'm sure it'll do well. I'm sure it'll do well at the box office. Uh, I'm less sure of its of its Oscar potential. But is, is Michael Moore not like, does the Academy not like him anymore? I mean, he was the head of the branch, what, like two or three years ago, right? I, I, would, I would say to you that, that a lot of the people I've spoken to, a lot of them will grudgingly admit that all the rules changes that he pushed through, which include everybody seeing uh, all the films and it's no, it's no longer these little committees and, and, and um, you know, so they don't have to see all uh, 130 movies or however many it turns out to be. Uh, they're supposed to see 20 percent of them but um, uh, he pushed through those changes and I think he he did a good thing and and a lot of people admit that he did a good thing but they didn't enjoy it while he was doing it <laughs> he, I think they experienced him and a lot of them did experience him in a, in a sort of negative way and now he has to deal with the backlash on that that's it yeah <laughs> revenge of sorts it's funny because I went to a one of those uh, lunches that the awards lunches that they do in New York that Peggy Siegel organizes it happened to be for end of the tour, and I and I was sitting next to uh, an older gentleman who was an Academy member and a screenwriter, but hadn't written a movie in a really long time, and he had not seen the movie for the, this lunch, um, but got a chance to shake Jason Segel's hand and got a screener when he left the lunch, and it just makes me wonder how arbitrary this process can be when you really get down to it. You don't expect all these people to watch all these movies there's so many environmental factors and relationships to different people that end up having maybe an even bigger impact than the movies themselves 
There's a reason why they do all of these lunches and and dinners, and they just woo these people. They're they're it's it's a finite group of people. Everybody knows exactly who they are. Um, they get them to come out, and they 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 wine and dine them, and that's part of the process. It's just the nature of the industry. Well, I want to close this week's episode by getting away from all of that stuff. Uh, just to say a quick word about. Chantal Ackerman, who unfortunately passed away at 65 this past week, uh, just a couple of days before her latest and now last movie, No Home Movie, screened at New York Film Festival. Now, I, I did see this movie at Locarno over the summer where it had its world premiere, and not everybody has seen a lot of Chantal Ackerman films in this part of the world. Not everybody has, has been on that train, as it were, in support of her work, but this is a filmmaker who's starting with her very first movie, was constantly experimenting with the possibilities of, of time and identity on screen and her relationship to being a presence in a movie or, or not in the movie at all uh, was constantly in flux. And, and she inspired people in all kinds of different ways that have been celebrated across the internet. But at the New York Film Festival in particular, that kind of ecosystem that ha happens as a result of the festival, you could feel that impact everywhere. I did a conversation with... Athena Rachel Sangari, uh, the filmmaker in residence at the festival this year, and at the very end, somebody in the audience asked her to talk about women filmmakers she admires, and she just said Chantal Ackerman and couldn't continue. And across the hall, Amy Taubin was talking about encountering uh, Chantal Ackerman before screening of the new film uh, in the 70s and being sort of impressed by how she was inspired on the one hand by Godard and on the other hand by Jonas Mika's diary films and how interesting that fusion was. And... There were, you know, Philippe Garel introduced his new movie and talked about Chantal Ackerman. And it's rare to see somebody who can have that kind of direct impact on so many different people in a creative community. And one of the things that's kind of remarkable about all of this is that No Home Movie in some ways speaks directly to the challenge of being successful and yet still trapped in your own kind of emotional challenges. It's about her watching her mother die, and it's, it's just a really powerful kind of experience that is now also... Uh, as uh, Jay Hoberman wrote in the New York Times this week, devastating. But the movies are still there, and if people haven't seen Chantal Ackerman movies, I'm not going to say this isn't a great time to catch up, but it is an important body of work that's worth paying attention to if you know movies. And Hulu has made them all available for free uh, this weekend, so it's, it's in that sense, it is an ideal opportunity to catch up. So... I, I think to... the thing that's really sad is that she uh, ended up leaving uh, the world at, at a, just about the moment where her she'd never been an accessible filmmaker. She'd always been appreciated by a certain coterie of very sophisticated people, um, mainly in Europe. And, and I think it's it's sad that, that perhaps her most accessible work um, uh, is not, uh, you know, she wasn't around to appreciate the response to it. Right, but that response could be just starting, so hopefully we'll, we'll have more opportunities to revisit No Home Movie in the, in the you know, weeks and months and years to come. So next week we'll regroup. You'll be back in Los Angeles, and I won't have to worry about the New York Film Festival for another year, and we can just <laughs> keep moving ahead. All so right, talk to you later. Have a good time out there.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.